Let's pray as we go into God's word this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, I'm going to confess something that humbles me a great deal, uh, doing math homework with my children. Uh, Some of you who are parents know this already. Um, I did fine in math. I I was kind of a middling math student, maybe at best. I'm not exactly sure how I made it all the way through um, high school math, but I was certainly more of an English history uh, arts kid. I know that's shocking to every one of you who know me, um, rather than a math and science kid. Um, It's pretty humbling to reach the point as a parent where you have no idea how how to help your kid with their math homework. And I'm not even talking about my boys who are in high school. Their high school level math far exceeds my knowledge. I am actually talking about my 10-year-old fifth grade daughter. Um, I kid you not, basically we're at the point where it's it's a crapshoot when she brings uh, a a sheet home, whether or not mom or dad are going to have the capability to help her with it. Um, Sometime, though, in the last year, she brought home something that looked like this. And it was this greater, less than, or equal. I'm like, I got this. This is easy. All I got to do is count the dots and, you know, make sure the symbol's going in the right direction. This is pretty easy. I kind of puffed my chest out a little bit and, and uh, felt like I was really helping my daughter a great deal. Um, and then the next week, that became uh, greater, less than, or equal fractions. Um, a little harder, uh, but we were able to. We were able to get the. You have to reduce down those fractions, and then a couple of weeks later, it became equations. They weren't quite this hard, but something like this. It looked like this to me: greater, less than, or equal equations. And I had to admit that my ten-year-old uh, had far surpassed me. I want to think. I, I want to focus on that greater, less than, equal. The word "greater than" uh, is actually a biblical word. It sometimes is translated as "better than." And it occurs 13 times just in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Uh, We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I've already had a couple of robust conversations about that this morning. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. I am fairly certain and can make a pretty compelling case it is not the Apostle Paul. I'm quite sure of that. Um, But other than him, it could be just about anybody else. Um, My conviction is that it's written to a group of believers who are in the city of Rome Again, we're not exactly sure where it's written to, where that community is. That's, uh, I have reasons for believing that. What we do know about this book is what we know from the title, which is it's written to a group of people who identify with their Jewish heritage who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we hear Jewish Christian, and that seems like a contradiction in terms, but for many Jewish believers who came to know Jesus, they wouldn't have known themselves as Christian. They were Jews who followed Jesus. So these are Christians who still consider themselves practicing Jews. And to these readers, the author sets out to present Jesus as greater than a number of things. A number of things. Greater than Moses. Greater than Melchizedek. A greater high priest. A greater sacrifice. So like those original readers, those of us here who have set our lives to following Jesus can find that our lives get complicated. It becomes, following Jesus and and even understanding who Jesus is can become a a messy equation with uncertainty and ambiguity and layers of complexity. And if Hebrews itself uh, is one of the most theologically complex books in Scripture, which it is, 
What makes Hebrews really so brilliant in that and what it does for me and what it's done for so many people is it boils those complex equations down into something that is manageable, something that is plain, something that is easy to understand, sort of like looking at that sheet and going, I can count those dots. And it's this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And since Jesus is greater than all these things, he is worthy of us following him. Friends, the next five Sundays, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews in in spots um, in a series that's called Greater Than, Greater Than, studying what this awesome book has to say about following Jesus. I instructed a couple people this morning who were interested, read through Hebrews, read through it slowly. You might get through it two or three times uh, in the next five weeks as we go through some of these texts together. We're going to be looking at five different names given to Jesus in the book of Hebrews, names that speak to his greatness and help us to know how it is that we're supposed to follow him. And the first of those names which we're going to talk about this morning is Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. So let's begin at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. We're going to read the first five verses of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 1 through 5. If you'd stand, please, for the reading of God's word as you are able. I'll invite you to take a deep breath. Be reminded that this is God's word for us this morning, that God is speaking. I promise you that any words that I say about this word are secondary. This is God's great gift to us this morning. Hear God's word from Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs is. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You can be seated. If you thumb through all the other letters of the New Testament, uh, they all start with an introduction. Hebrews does not do that. It doesn't give us an introduction or a salutation. But we know that this letter is an intentional letter from somebody to a community because of the greetings and the instructions that are at the end of the book. Um, The author is aware of this community. The author knows this community in some way, this community of Jewish Christians. And it's the author is addressing the needs and the concerns of that community. And they jump right into the reason for writing. And it gets deep pretty quickly. Maybe you felt that as I was reading it. So what are the issues that are being addressed in this community? There are two things that I want to point out from just this text that I think we can can understand about the community that was first reading this letter. First, um, these Jewish Christians, they were wrestling with their newfound Christian faith and their Jewish heritage. How do those things go together? Um, We know that this group identifies strongly with their Jewish heritage because the author cites Old Testament texts ad nauseum throughout the book of, of Hebrews. Not only that, but the author expects these readers to understand the minutiae of 
of, of the Old Testament sacrificial system and, and the priestly order, something that a Gentile, a non-Jew, would have really no interest in. Um, but these Jews are wrestling with this new faith, this new Christian part of their faith and their Jewish heritage and practice. Clearly, uh, as you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll see that some of them have been tempted to just revert back to Judaism, to just get rid of the whole Jesus thing and just go back to just being Jews. You see, Judaism was a recognized religion in the Roman Empire. It was okay to be a Jew, but Christianity was not recognized. If this community was in Rome, like I think they were, sometime prior to 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, then they were existing in one of the most intense times of persecution in the history of the church for Christians. And it was squarely centered on Christ followers. They were blamed for the great fire of Rome in 64 as a way for them to uh, enact persecution against them. So the idea of some of these readers is, if we can just remain good, pious Jews, if we renounce the whole Jesus part of this, then we're going to be protected from this persecution. We don't have to deal with the persecution that's happening among us. They are wrestling with the claims of Jesus and the realities of their Jewish faith. The second thing that we can say about this community is that they had a fascination with angels. Um, If you keep reading in chapter 1, you're going to see a lot of it is about angels. Angels were a very popular part of Jewish uh, mythology and theology starting in the 2nd century BC all the way through the 1st century AD. Um, Jews were interested in angels because they saw them as intermediaries between God and humans. And and they actually reread the Old Testament through the lens of angelic beings, most notably that it was angelic beings that delivered the law from God to Moses, that it was angels who did that. Um, First century Jews were fascinated with the idea of angels, and in some of their writings, they even referred to angels as sons of God, sons of God those who speak on God's behalf and do God's bidding. Um, there are even some Jewish writings, If depending on how you read them, they seem to indicate that Jews would pray to and worship various angels that they gave names to in the hopes that those angels might come and visit them personally with a word from God for their life. So, they're wrestling with their heritage and their new faith under persecution, and they develop this fascination and this whole mythology theology around angels. And it's to, to those issues that the author of Hebrews writes this letter. Can you see, for these original hearers of this letter, how following Jesus has become complex, how it's become this complex equation for them? They are, there are layers of complexity here to following Jesus. There's both the, the social pressures that they're feeling, and theology that they picked up, it's become disorienting, it's become confusing. So the author of Hebrews begins to do what I should be doing with my daughter's math homework, which is taking that equation and boiling it down to its simplest form, right? So let's let's break it down. We're going to go through the text that I read for you. Verses 1, first half of verse 2. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. Um, This is really the key affirmation of the entire letter. Yes, God did did speak and was faithful to speak throughout the period of the Old Testament. He spoke through fire and cloud, through wind and through prophet, to Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Deborah and David and Daniel and Nehemiah. 
These words that God spoke in that Old Testament time were good and, and valid. They should be retained and revered and celebrated. But the author is saying something's changed. We see these differently now. Those words spoken in the Old Testament were given so that people had an opportunity to have a chance to even hear God. They were spoken in anticipation of a time when God was going to make himself fully known. But Jesus has come now, and Jesus is that revelation from God. Jesus is not an intermediary between us and God because he is God. He's fully God. So in this sense, the author is saying, human history has moved from a period of promise to a period of fulfillment. And I think it's a brilliant thing for this author to do because in doing so, they honor the Jewish heritage of the the readers here, but they're also confronting some poor theology that they have around angels. Because with Jesus, there's no need for an intermediary. Jesus is not a son of God, as some of the angels were called. He is the Son of God. And then the author does something really interesting in the back half of verse 2 through verse 3, which is he begins to explain who this Son of God is. And there are seven things. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Please hang with me because these are really important. Um, Seven ways in which the Son of God um, is revealed and made known. First of all, God appointed this this Son as heir of all things. Um, There was a train of thought that said that Jesus was just another kind of angel, like a little better than all the other angels. This dispels that pretty quickly, right? Jesus is something else altogether. If he is an heir of all things, he's God's son, and he is the heir to everything. Everything belongs to Jesus. No angel could say that. Second, it says that it was through Jesus that God made the universe. Jesus was the agent of God's word in all of creation, and that's affirmed. Um, In the New Testament, in several places, notably what we read at Christmas in John chapter 1, that all things were made through him, and through him nothing that has been made was made. Then the author says that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. Don't think of reflection as reflection in a mirror. That's a different word. The actual word is radiance. Sort of like if if you put your hand over a light source, you still get that radiance coming towards you. Jesus is the radiance. He's the He's the radiance of light that blinds us with brightness and beauty. He's the light that shines into the heart of every man and every woman. And then it says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's being. The word imprint here is the one that's used for an imprint on a coin, like the Caesar would put their face on a coin as a representation of the Caesar. And so the idea here is that Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we hear from Jesus, we are seeing and we are hearing from God himself. Number five, it says that Jesus upholds all things by his word. Do not think of like that image of Atlas with the, with the globe on his shoulders, like with this, all this dead weight lifting it up. Think of Jesus sort of graciously upholding and, and bringing and carrying forward with love and grace all the purposes of God. Then it says that Jesus made purification for sins. We're going to hit on this big time in the next couple of weeks when we talk about Jesus as our high priest and our sacrifice. But there's a shift that happens here from this sort of cosmic pre-existent Christ to the deeply personal relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. He accomplishes what no other being could possibly do. He purifies us from sin. Again, much more to follow on that. Important stuff. And then lastly, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Don't think of this necessarily as a physical location. 
God does not need a physical throne to sit at or a right hand to, to have occupied. What this denotes is the supremacy of Christ, but it also denotes that if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, he's still active. He's still at work. That is a position of, of activity and purpose. So in a, a, a verse and a half, Jesus is given a sevenfold confirmation. I had someone earlier this morning say, you should have done a seven-week series just on those verses. I know we should have, maybe some, maybe some time. Um, but these themes actually get further fleshed out as we read through the book of Hebrews. But what's the conclusion? And that's in verses 4 and 5. It says, Jesus is as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. What's the conclusion? It's pretty simple. We boil it down. Jesus is greater. He's not less than, he's not equal to, he's greater. His message is greater than the angelic messengers. He is greater in power and wisdom than they are. He is greater because of the very fullness of God that he represents. He is not just a mediator between us and God. And when we balance that equation, when we reduce it down, when we, when we strip away all the extra stuff, the equation is every bit as simple as looking at dots on a sheet of paper and going, where, which one has more here? Jesus is greater. It's clear that Jesus is greater. The Son of God is greater. Now, how does this reality help us follow Jesus? And that's the question that we're going to be asking throughout this entire series. How does this help us follow Jesus? Let me offer three takeaways uh, from the text this morning. First takeaway is I want you to examine how you have allowed your discipleship to become complex. In what ways have we allowed our following of Jesus, our life of faith, to become not a simple equation, but a complex one? We have any number of ways in which we, are, we ourselves and the way that we live our lives have made this complex following Jesus. Maybe you've got family baggage. Maybe you've got a difficult family story, and that's just part of what you carry with you. Maybe you've got religious or church wounds, ways in which you've been hurt by those who are supposed to be representing Christ. Maybe you've got doubts about God or scripture or the church, and it's created kind of this brick wall of barriers to, to following Jesus. Maybe you've picked up a bunch of extra stuff along the way. I see this all the time, rules and laws and restrictions and add-ons that God never really intended, and they're, and they're wearing you down and weighing you down. Maybe you're overwhelmed with the cares of life, with family and money and health and work and status. It's, it's complicating things for you. Maybe you've absorbed some false teachings, some supplemental ideologies or, or dangerous half-truths. I think the prayer for all of us this morning as we examine that and go, what, what are the complexities that, that make, it, make it confusing and disorienting for me to follow Jesus? I think the prayer for all of us is, God, can you simplify this equation for me? Can you simplify the things that have become complex? Can you reduce it down and sort of balance the scales here for me so that I can see things clearly? Can, can you strip those things away or give me the courage to do the work to strip those things away so that I can see you more clearly? Because, God, if I can see you clearly, then I have a much more clear path to follow you with my life. 
second takeaway is I want us to examine if we have a correct view of Jesus and who he really is. We can get false views of who Jesus is so easy. They are readily available to us. Um, Think about it. These Hebrew readers had come to understand that Jesus was just kind of a special angel. This was maybe like 30 years after Jesus died. And already they're like, ah, he's just kind of like a good angel. I mean, if they had persisted in that understanding of Jesus and they weren't corrected on it, that would have done irreparable damage to their faith because that's not who Jesus is. They're not really following Jesus if he's just like a a, a little better version of an angel. So we have to combat false views of who Jesus is if we really want to follow him. So just, I'm going to throw these out here today, hear them clearly. Jesus is not just a great moral teacher. Jesus is not a judgmental bully. He is not a peace, love, and happiness dude. He is not simply a great prophet. He is not some guy who just lived 2,000 years ago and is an important historical figure. He is greater than all of those things. He is, as the text tells us, he's the heir of all things. He owns it all. He's foundational to the creation of the world. He's the reflection of God's glory. He's the very image and the essence of who God is. He upholds the world through his word He makes purification for our sins. He's seated at the right hand of God. Friends, whatever views you've picked up of Jesus along the way, I can confidently say he's greater than all of these. Third takeaway. We should be reminded of what it means that Jesus is the son of God. Um, Jesus is fully God. He's not a mediator. He himself is God. And yet he's fully human. This is what we call the incarnation. And this is what it really means to be the son of God. Um, And that reality of of fully God and fully human was so blasphemous that it put Jesus on a cross. And our discipleship of Jesus, our ability to follow him, is dependent on us being able to hold those two things together, his divinity and his humanity, understanding him truly as the son of God. Some of you have heard me share this story before, but it sticks with me, uh, so I'll share it again. Um, My favorite example of this is when I was in seminary. Um, I was in a Gospels class, uh, a very, very rigorous class with uh, a brilliant and demanding professor, and we would always start the class with prayer. And uh, the the professor would ask for a volunteer, one of the students, and in one class, uh, a guy volunteered. I I don't remember his name, but I sure remember what he looked like. Um, He looked like he had just been uh, in the water surfing for six hours in Malibu or something like that. He had bleach blonde hair. He had flip-flops in November. He had this incredible surfer accent. Um, And his prayer went something like this. He stood up and he prayed, Hey, Daddy, how you doing today? So good to talk to you, Daddy. We're just hanging out in this class with our boy, out with your boy Jesus. We're studying the Bible. We just want to hear from you and, like, learn from you. So teach us, Daddy. Teach us. Uh, Teaching. Okay, we'll talk to you later, Daddy. He sat down. Now, it may, it may sound like I'm making fun of this guy. I'm actually not. I actually think this was really, really a heartfelt prayer from him. Um, but I was really excited to see the, what the professor was going to say after this. Um, and after a few moments of silence, uh, the professor stood up. Southern gentleman, um, he said, thank you for praying. Uh, but I feel like I need to tell you something that's going to be very, very important for your life going forward. He said, God is your father. And yes, he loves you very much but he ain't your pal. He ain't your pal. And that's the tension that I want to impress upon you today. 
Jesus is so holy and so beyond us. He's the very reflection of God's glory. He's the radiance of God, but yet he's with us. He lived a a human life like us. He is totally supreme and beyond us, and yet he is accessible and imminent and, and, and with us. Maybe your tendency is to lean way too much into Jesus' divinity. You're so high and above, and I'm just a worm on the ground. But I think most of us today, we have a tendency to lean way too much into his humanity and forget that he is holy and above us. Yes, God loves you and is with you in the person of Jesus Christ, but he ain't your pal. He is still fully God. He's the son of God. And we can't overstate the importance of this. The author of Hebrews will come back to this over and over again because the fact that Jesus is the son of God makes true human life possible for us. He makes a way for us to know and experience the fullness of God. Uh, Our sins can be washed clean because he came and he spoke God's word and he revealed God's character and he lived the life that we should live and he died the death that we deserve so that he could offer us new life. Only the son of God could do such a thing. And because he did such a thing, Jesus shows us and tells us and models for us who God is and what it means for us to be truly human. You know, it's kind of ironic that with what at first blush looks like the most obscure book of the New Testament, if you read it cover to cover in some ways, we find if we reduce all this stuff down to something simple, we find the news that millions and millions of people, people in your life and in mine, so desperately need to hear the news that God is still speaking. I don't know which one of you needs to hear that this morning. God's still speaking. God is still speaking. And it also shares the news that the things that trouble us most deeply, the things that make our lives the most complex and and, and difficult, can be washed away by Jesus because he is the son of God. The news that Jesus understands us because he too is fully human but he is so much greater than our understanding because he is God. You know, following Jesus appears and and can become complex and hard because we feel like we have so many needs in our life and so many complexities that need to be balanced and and X'd out and, and, and deficits that need to be wiped away. And Hebrews not only summons us to follow Jesus, but it explains that those complexities and those deficits have already been dealt with by him. It offers us a Jesus who is there to help and to journey with us because he is one of us. And he's gone the path before us of of being a true human. And he has lived our life. And he has died our death. And he continues to live and to give us access to the Father because he is God. And he can do this because he's the Son of God. And we can follow him with confidence because he is greater than all things. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord, we thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have lived the life that we should live and given us a model to follow and you have died the death that we deserve and that we could never pay for. That You are supreme and high and above. Lord, would you give us wisdom of what it means to hold that tension in our relationship with you? That you are with us 
And you identify with us and you understand us, but you are beyond us. And you can make claims that no other being could ever make. Lord, may the reality of you as Son of God give us confidence in following you. Lord, remind us that you are near us. And you are with us. And remind us that you are high and above us through humbling us, bringing us to our knees. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we affirm that he is greater. He is better. Lord, we are thankful for your presence. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.